This is Jezology. It's a real science, honestly. Not just a podcast of me talking about me. Or, or maybe it is. It's Jezology. Hello and welcome to the Jazzology podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Johnson, and I'm also a singer-songwriter. This episode features a chat with Suffolk-based musician Belinda Gillett. Belinda and I met on the Suffolk open mic scene at an open mic in the town of Woodbridge in Suffolk back in 2018. During this episode, we discuss insecurity when performing, writer's block, core musical values, and I invite Belinda to play us a couple of amazing songs of hers. So without further ado, here's the chat. Gave my love to the riverboard man. Hey! Hello! Am I late? No, 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 not at all. No, to be honest, I've done these before where I've been sitting here for a good four or five minutes before <laughs> before my guest has actually turned up. So 30 seconds is absolutely bang on time. Thank you so much. Um, so, Belinda, yes. how are you? Um... Uh, I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> have I have I caused you undue stress this evening with this uh, guest live? Is that part yeah. of the issue? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm I'm sorry for my part in that, but uh, I I this is going to be a lovely stress-free conversation, and uh, I'm sure it's going to be uh, fantastic. So uh, fear not. Um, I've, I've never done a podcast before. That's you've never first. done a podcast before. Oh. Well, I'm glad to be popping your podcast cherry, as it were. We don't know mm-hmm. each other that well, but I, I feel that's a phrase I can use. Um, and uh, yeah, so I've been doing these for a while. It's It's been a lot of fun for me. It's been a nice opportunity to connect with a lot of the musicians that I have been meeting over the years. So obviously my music project is a lot younger than yours. And I think we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, I've only really... That at the beginning of the podcast. I'm sorry? Call me old. Is that how it's? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, no, no, absolutely not. I mean, the thing is that the funny thing about music I've found is that I've had I've had people who are a decade younger than me on the podcast. I've had other people that are a decade older than me on the podcast, and um, there's nothing truer than talking about your sort of musical journey. No matter where you are in your life and where you are in your your musical sort of thing, it's always a journey for all of us. So. It's it's always interesting actually having that sort of element and whether that that registers with people the kind of age thing. Anyway, we we can talk about that in a minute. What I'd like to do is give you a little intro. Um, so for those of you guys who are who are watching who don't know um, the, my lovely guest Belinda, um, Belinda and I met in Suffolk at the. I wonder whether you remember how we met, but um, we met at the um, at the open in- mark. Exactly, Angel Open Mic yeah. in Woodbridge, mm-hmm. and um, I think we, um, I sat next to you, and then you played, and I just remember you being incredible, and we just kind of kept in touch, and we haven't really done a huge amount. I've not seen you a lot since. I don't think I've seen you since. <laughs> I'm not sure, but I've always kept, I always kept um, uh, up with what you've been doing and your progress and, and journey as a musician and. Uh, and so, yeah, it's been quite a nice sort of thing to reconnect through this. And that's what I'm finding with these podcasts, actually, is to reconnect with people who I've just sort of randomly meet on the road. And, um, yeah. But yeah, so that's that's my memory of, of that evening. Um, do you have remember, any memories? I remember because, as always, as a female performer who plays on her own, you sort of walk into a pub and you're the only woman there. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I've normally, normally turned up on my own if it's an open mic. So that's my tactic, is to look around for someone who looks kind of decent and friendly. Where's oh, my husband? <laughs> See, hello. Um, yeah. <laughs> look around for someone who looks decent and friendly. And, you know, you were clean shaven and you looked quite... <laughs> Not anymore. Maybe have I lost a little bit of decency with being a bit stubbly now? Decent. And I remember it was like, you know, first day at a new high school, sort of... <laughs> Trundled over and went, hi, can I sit at your table? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Because I was, I was quite nervous as well, because I, 
it wasn't my first open mic by any stretch, but it was, I think it was my f one of my first open mics in Suffolk. So I didn't really have a sort of gauge on the Suffolk scene. And I was there to, uh, I, I was there for sort of, I was randomly in Suffolk, but I was also working on an album project at one of the local art centers, Old Jet. And, uh, and so I just thought I'd go out and I'd play some open mics and I'd meet some people. And so it was a whole new scene to me and like I didn't have any friends, I didn't know anybody. So perhaps that's what, maybe I was giving those kind of like, come and talk to me vibes. <laughs> you know? That was it. I remember you telling me you were recording. And I remember that you went on first, you very eagerly volunteered to go on first. Um, so I right. thought oh, it's going to be <laughs> not this. That doesn't but sound like me. <laughs> And I was like, oh no, he's really good. Why did he want to go first? But yeah, maybe oh, that's. Oh, that's very kind of you. <laughs> maybe it was the nerves. It was the nerves. I think I've, I've, um, I've forced myself into embarrassing situations so much since that I think I, I sort of, I'm, I'm quite comfortable with where I can be placed. But I think in an open mic, there's, I find, I find and found open mics harder than playing normal gigs. Um, and so I think it, there's a sort of, a, there's a nerve wracking element to just basically going from zero to a hundred in, you know, 10 seconds and then having three songs to sort of like prove yourself and then sit down and, and uh, drink your pint. And it's very informal, obviously, but there's kind of a, there's a nerve wracking element to it. Yeah, it's not something I would do, uh, you know, unless I felt that I had to. You know, I did it <laughs> yeah. because I hadn't gigged in so many years. And I thought, yeah. well, yeah, I'm going to get gigs and meet people is if I go to open mics. But they terrified. Yeah. Yeah. That was basically my strategy with um, the Suffolk scene was I, I've, I've been in scenes before. I actually started going to open mics when I was living in Holland many years ago. And I was there for four years. And I remember it being a very positive experience. So I, I always kind of felt like if I came to a new place, the first place I would start was open mics with grassroots musicians. And it can be a bit difficult because there's always going to be sort of, the, you know, the, 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 you know, there's always going to be a sort of clique, I guess, around an open mic. And the Angel's a very nice one, but to kind of like go in there and just go like, hi, I'm, I'm new. And like, and everyone's kind of like, who's this guy? You know, going wandering into the pub in the middle of Suffolk. But, but uh, it was very pleasant. Obviously. I think I just assumed you were you were known. You'd played a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like you played no. a lot. You were talking to other people, so I thought. But obviously, actually. Well, I, I consider that a great privilege of mine to have have been able to meet other people through this process. And I, you know, Susie Hammond's watching, and she says she's being very, very kind, and she's saying I was brilliant at the Black Soul Buskers night. I presume she's talking about me. I'm, I'm sure she's also talking about you. <laughs> but um, but it, the one thing I, I would say about that whole process for me was, uh, was I really launched into doing as many open mics in Suffolk as I could when I was there. And I met some fantastic people, and Susie's one of those people, and obviously you're another. And, and I've had a number of people on this um, on this podcast from the Suffolk scene already, um, who I basically met through through open miking as well. Joe G is another one. I'm not sure if Joe G you've bumped into him on the scene, um, but it's it's lovely. Yeah, it's it's for me. It's the great joy of having done that. Was yeah, sure you, it helped getting over the nerves and stuff of performing live, but but it was really the people that made it and the the connections I made doing those open mics. It's definitely, I changed my tactic on gigging this time around. Right. When I used to gig, it was always about gigging cities, trying to book gigs in cities and doing tours. And actually, you don't, it's really hard to build up that community if you keep doing that. So I've been really set this time of trying to do as much as I can in Suffolk and getting to know people, yeah. getting to a point where you can put on gigs and have that feeling of musical community which is so lovely absolutely i think that's um i think that's it, i'd like to talk to you about that actually because that's that's something for me that's been a sort of interesting and slightly difficult element of what i do but before we get into that um i'd love to talk a little bit about your history as a musician because um i did a little bit of research before um this podcast and to be honest, maybe a little bit of feedback for you, Belinda. 
there's virtually nothing online <laughs> about you. And I know you've been doing this a long time. And um, I've from following you on social media, I know there's a few stories which are very interesting, like the Queen connection and the Brian May connection, which I've seen you post about a little bit about in the past. So I know the music's been part of your life for a long time, but I found it really hard to find anything about you. So I'd love to hear a bit more from you about like, what's your history in music? I'm a very rare type of performer. I don't like or enjoy talking about myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we can we can finish it there if you like. <laughs> it's something I'm, I'm really trying to overcome. I struggle to post about myself. I don't like photos of myself. I don't like videos of myself. And I'm completely aware that I want people to listen to my music, um, but I don't want them to see me <laughs> but actually <laughs> that doesn't work and the reason you connect and you love musicians is a human is a human connection so Indeed. i'm trying really hard to overcome this <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah and, and try and try and go forward try and talk about myself more try and post what i'm doing and what i have done and yeah, yeah I, think, I don't i don't know why something about how i was brought up maybe that you know I wouldn't want to. I would never want to appear arrogant. I don't like blowing my own trumpet. Uh, you meet so many musicians when you get to that level who are just so crazy about themselves. Mm. Yeah, you know, that's quite terrifying. So. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I completely. I know exactly what you mean. I think when I first started doing it, I felt like. I felt like the noble thing to do as a musician is to sit back and let your music talk for you, right? Mm -hmm. And if people want to listen to it, fantastic. Your 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 fan base will grow. And if they don't want to talk about it, you improve the music. That was my sort of ideological take on things. But the other take on it is me as a music fan. And I think me as a music fan is I I love to buy into the story of someone. And if mm. it's difficult to find out something about the artist, it's just music. And the problem is these days when music is, is so, there's so much, there's a proliferation of, of music, which is fantastic. And there's a lot of artists who are being able to, there's a lot of a lower barrier for entry, I guess, to become a musician because we've all got laptops and we've all got um, doors and we've all got mics and stuff like that. So, um, but because of that, the story element has become so much more important and for me, over the last 12 months or so, I've really started to shift my focus to, to do not only the music, but also the story. And one nice way of doing that for me has been this podcast, actually, because I, I feel like I can talk to people like it was if we're down the pub talking about music, but it kind of just helps to thicken out the brand of Jeremy Johnson, whatever I am as a musician and sort of puts a bit of context into these songs I'm putting online. So there are ways to do it, there are ways to do it. But I, I tell you what, you can start right now. This can be yes. you turning over a new leaf and you can tell all the wonderful fans, all the people who are watching um, the history of Belinda Gillett in, in not super long <laughs> terms. <laughs> I was born. So how did you get into it? Are you, are you from a musical family or like, what was your first well, forays? Um, I'm not, I don't really know my family or know of, but I have heard rumours that uh, I had a great grandmother who was a singer who sang at the Royal Albert Hall and things. And I do remember um, when I was younger and my nan sang constantly, but that she had an outstanding voice. But the only thing she ever sung to was like the dinner she was cooking, and yeah, she sang and she sang beautifully, like amazingly. Yeah. Uh, my mother had the worst voice you've ever heard. I mean, <laughs> so I truly believe you can teach pretty much anyone to sing, but no one could teach my mother. That was quite, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, not musical, not artistic, at all. But obviously, somewhere very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so, would you say you're, would you say you're more of a product of nurture than nature, from that perspective? So you've sort of you've, there's been a sort of social 
generation of you as a musician rather than say something that was just naturally there and you were just it was just organic that you were going to become a musician I think I just was a musician I remember the you know the first time I ever sung just singing I was just finding it really easy and not understanding why everyone was making such fuss about it <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. your mum, for example. <laughs> you know, it was just like, we was singing. But it wasn't until I was much older, about 20, when I learned guitar and I started to play songs that mm. I became a musician. I, and yeah. I completely fell in love with it. Yeah. I'd and written poetry constantly before that. Okay. I learned to play guitar and then that was it. I was just writing songs. That's interesting because I've had a few people on this podcast who have talked about them being a, a sort of a poet first and a musician second. I've also, interestingly, I don't know that you haven't mentioned this, but I've had quite a few singer-songwriters who said they started off with rhythm. They started off as drummers and then migrated out. It surprised me because that's not what I did. But um, quite a few of the people I've talked to said they started off, at least three of the singer-songwriters who are now solo singer-songwriters started off in the drums. I don't know whether if there's I, something I, there as well. I love playing drums, but yeah. I'm not good with it, and that came after, definitely. Right. So what was yeah. the... You, you mentioned that you, you've always written poetry and you've always, you know, you, you, you learned you had this tool, this voice, which is incredible, by the way, and I hope you're going to share it with us a little bit in a minute. Um, but then what was the process of going from that poetry into saying, okay, now I'm going to try writing songs and, yeah. and like, especially your own songs. Did, was that a, a later thing for you or did that sort of naturally lead on? Later. I started singing. Um, I got pushed into lots of stuff, but it was all musical theatre and classical. Mm. I sung a lot professionally and then I just didn't like it I hated it and stopped and I think uh not to get too deep I think it was having my first mental breakdown when I was about 17 I mean I've been writing things before that and I had books and books of poetries and stories and plays and um I don't know. Something in me just needed to express myself more and in a in a different way. And I'd had to go acting and dancing and nothing. I was far too shy for all of that. Didn't like it. Um, and I met a boy. You know, like first boyfriend love. You know. Always, always goes hand in hand. Yeah, and he was in a he was in a band, and I hung out with him. And he just hung out with musicians, and I was a bit like, "Where, where are the girls? Where yeah. are the girls? These are all boys." And yeah. I was, he started to write songs on the guitar, and I was writing the lyrics and the singing. But it was just really frustrating. It's like this: this I can't get the song how I want it to sound, and mm. so it was. Like, well, I need to learn to play. Okay. Get out what was in my head, yeah. and I, I mean, I slept with my guitar for about three yeah. months yeah. and after six months I was writing my own song amazing and that was it I was you off. never looked back I loved it so much yeah fantastic well that I think leads us very nicely into the fact that I what I usually do is I ask my guests on these things to come with a song or two in mind they wouldn't mind mm -hmm. talking and playing talking about and playing um so would you be able to sing us a song yeah amazing so, and, and it's, I, uh, knowing you a little bit better as I do now, I, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if you've ever really talked about your songs and no. songwriting. But I would love to know a little bit about the song um, before you sing it, and like the, the title and what it's kind of, you know, maybe yeah. the process of how you wrote it. People started to complain to me because I never spoke at gigs. I'm just song, song, song. So in fact, <laughs> I had a band, we we used to orchestrate the songs so they could all go one into the other. So I never had to speak except for uh, at the end of the day. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was all I had to talk. So, um, yeah, so no, I, I am trying to talk about my songs. I wasn't sure what to play, so I was just going to play the ones I'm enjoying playing at the moment. Um, I wrote a song a few months ago called Pearl. Okay. Uh, 
kind of regret the decision now because it's um, it's about sex. <laughs> a bit, is it a bit blue? That's that's great. I've not had a I've not had a, um, a sexy song yet on uh, on the Jazzology podcast. I don't think it's sexy, and I think anyone that hears it would just be like, really? <laughs> yeah. <What> the hell? <laughs> um, yeah, it's not sexy. Don't worry, you won't get not that. sexy, but about sex. Okay, cool. That's, because that's different. Sex and sexy are two completely different. True. Things. True, true. Um, yeah, I feel like I shouldn't go into yeah. that anymore. <laughs> right. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm very much looking forward to hearing it. <laughs> Everyone's going to be like that for the lyrics now. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that's the thing, right? Is That's that's why it's so important to talk a little bit about the songs you're about to play. Even though I, I'm the same, I feel like, oh, people just want me to get on with it. But if you just give someone a little bit and then it's just kind of like when they're listening to the lyrics and they sort of they team up a few little things and then suddenly they're like okay like i'm i'm there now and I'm, i can feel it and there's, there's something extra angle to it i guess i know but i know what my resistance is it's because i i'm not particularly interested in artists god it sounds awful i have musicians that i'm so in love with but i'm not particularly interested in what they look like or where they yeah. went to school all the songs about because I'm sure. Oh, that's interesting. They yeah. meant for me to make it about something that's important to me. Yeah, it's so, almost like they're providing the canvas to for you to create your own painting on, almost. And I think I've been so that's made me really lazy, and it's taken me quite a few years to realise. Most people don't feel that way. So. Yeah. Well, I I do. Yeah. I do, I do buy what you're saying. Actually, you, there's the danger that you're when you're too literal, then you take away all the potential for somebody to really connect on their own level. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, but I would I say I love Seeger Ross because yeah, a lot of your songs are written in a made-up language, you know. So yeah. Wow. But when I listen to them, I see a whole landscape of paintings of things that they mean to me. You know, yeah. I, I love that about it. Amazing. Maybe, maybe that's the next album then. Next made up language. <laughs> yeah. Right. I'm I'm really on technical, so I hope the sounds all right. I'm but sure it'll be. I should be absolutely fine. <laughs> okay. This called Pearl.
I loved um, uh, halfway through that, your husband came in crawling behind you. <laughs> I think you had to get <laughs> it was really oh, funny. Just, yeah, the reporter when his kids come in. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'm on bloody BBC News. <laughs> <laughs> that was fantastic, Belinda. I really enjoyed that. <sighs> safe, safe back with the tea. As I said. <laughs> I, you know what I, I um I know you as a, a solo artist and you did mention that you you've spent some at least some of your journey um exploring um band music but I I really felt like that song f sounded to me like it would sit really well with with a sort of a bigger setup I don't know if this is that something that you're you're exploring still or are you are you very much in the solo domain still I, I am definitely, um, but I t yeah, I guess I just don't like the idea of forcing it. Whenever I've been in bands before, it's, they've just happened and they've been really nice. And and it's so easy when you're playing on your own because you just take your guitar and you go <laughs> wait for anyone. And um, so I'm hard pressed. I, a lot of the stuff I write. I mean, there's lots and lots of songs I never gig because they just aren't right with just a guitar and a vocal. You can't play them that way. Um, so that's quite frustrating. So, I'd, you know, a lot of the stuff, like the album I've just recorded, a lot of those songs I'll never play live and I haven't. Mm. Yes, I'm fine musicians. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So yeah 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 i've um I've, i'm sort of a similar a similar way i think because I, I think it's probably a bit like sort of relationships and i mean obviously a band is a relationship in some ways but i feel like um uh there's a danger that if you get so independent that you just all you ever see is a sort of things you are losing by working with other people rather than the things you're gaining and sometimes that can hold you back from setting up these fantastic um experiences and this fantastic creative impulse which you would never get and uh, that's something i need to work on by reminding myself that not everyone exhibits the negative sides of working with other people that you don't like if you know what i mean and sometimes like you said the best thing to do i think is is to work with people that just feel like a natural fit and then yeah. amazing things happen so <laughs> And I've been, I met, I met my husband because he came and auditioned for my band. Oh, right. <laughs> He's a drummer. Um, that must so be useful. If, do, do, you, do you bring him into some of the recordings sometimes? Do you take him to the studio? So now when I'm recording stuff, because, I mean, as I say, I love playing drums, but I'm pretty shit at it. So <laughs> he'll, he'll come and play the stuff for me. It's really, that's really handy. Oh, fair. else, you know, and that's why you get trapped in it. You know, it's like, oh, we need a bit of bass. Well, I can play the bass and I can play the keyboards and, you know, oh, I don't need anybody. But it does get lonely. Gigging then gets really lonely. Yeah, um, absolutely. Plus... Yeah, you can be a bit, you can end up being a bit too self-sufficient and then the whole journey becomes very... Like very lonely, exactly. And I think it's, it's something that I you mentioned earlier as well, which I'd like to talk to you a little bit about, which is this this idea of um, you know me as an as an artist, I've always been very much a nomadic artist. So I got into the game a lot later than a lot of my contemporaries, I would guess is the best way to describe it. So I started my musical journey really at thirty two. And um, and so I didn't sort of grow up in a scene. I was already out in the world and I was already living all over the place. And so I didn't really have anywhere to like settle into. And so my journey has been very like nomadic. And because of that, actually I have struggled with loneliness um, as a musician. And I know you mentioned it a little bit earlier about the idea of um, seeing touring as trying to book a gig in each city and just going around like that but actually at the moment you're you're trying to be a bit more centric and say okay i'm going to focus on suffolk as my scene and and get to know people and start to build this kind of following in suffolk and i yeah. want to know your, your thoughts a little bit on loneliness as a musician maybe it it is lonely it's lonely you know 
you're driving around on your own, <laughs> you're driving home at like midnight and uh, but, but the gigs aren't lonely because mm. generally speaking, the people there are so lovely. And yes. I guess it's one of those social, social situations where you know you can go alone. You don't have to go with someone else. You're going to meet someone. You're probably going to see someone you know, or you've yeah. seen at another gig. And yeah, loneliness is something that happens regardless of where you are and what you do, isn't it? Mm. I think if you, you know, if you get lonely, which everybody does, that's a feeling that you have. You are lonely. Yeah. I think it's regardless of anything else. Yeah, I feel like it's probably proportionate to your willingness to step outside your comfort zone and, and be friendly yourself and make yourself vulnerable. I think the people who can make themselves vulnerable actually end up shielding themselves from loneliness. If you're not willing to do that, then you're always going to be sat in a corner kind of with this attitude of people need to come and talk to me as opposed to the way around. And so I, I suppose it's probably when I think about it, when I've been when I felt confident and I, I, it's been a process for me, certainly. And I, I'm still nomadic with my music, and I feel like I'm in a good place now where I can go to a gig and meet people, um, mm. no matter where I am in in, in Europe or, or indeed the world. And um, and I think it's probably because I'm willing to make myself vulnerable that I can meet people and then counteract loneliness, maybe, but without yeah. getting too psychological about it, of course. <laughs> it's interesting because I'm the exact opposite. I find it really, really easy. To go into situations on my own to talk to strangers but oh, okay. i find it i find it incredibly hard to make deep meaningful friendships because once you step over that line of being a new acquaintance they're really going to see me they're really going to know who i am and that's oh, interesting that's really scary for me so actually yeah. going out to gigs and talking to strangers is a really wonderful yeah. way for me to be sociable because I find the other stuff really hard see that's that's fascinating because when you dig into the slightly deeper element of that that it's kind of the reverse for me so I feel quite comfortable sharing my diary essentially which is my songbook yeah I don't I don't really mind that and you know that it does present some interesting social dynamic problems where for example you're dating someone and they start saying um, what's this song about? This song of this heartbreak song that you <laughs> wrote three months ago, and you're like, uh, <laughs> I didn't anticipate you wanting to know about that. Um, but but nevertheless, I'm quite comfortable with it. But I find it's interesting because you've obviously mentioned already on this on this chat that you find that element quite hard mm -hmm. to share that side of you, to share the deeper side of you. But um, but I have that kind of fear of the surface level. So I fear people judging me that I don't know, for example. I find it like, interesting. It's We need to mash us together. Yeah, exactly. We'd be like, we'd be unstoppable <laughs> if we were like, <laughs> you can, I'll take your head so you can have my body and then you can, I'll love your legs. and <laughs> You can have right hand, I'll have left. Okay. Um, <laughs> we need to find some, maybe, maybe Elon Musk can work that out for us. Or that scares me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's that whole world. That whole world scares me. Quite comfortable yeah. in my little creative bubble of of uh, joy. Um, there's something that it would be remiss of me not to talk to you about, and I know you're gonna you're going to not want to talk about it because it will sound like boasting. But you are mates with Brian May, and that's I, that's pretty not boasting. Big... It's just another no. human being. <laughs> I know, but but you know that it, it's quite a boon, isn't it? To I mean, I I I know a few um, a few fantastic and very well regarded musicians, and there's just I don't, it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that we I have this idolization of people because everyone has flaws, and and once you sort of break break it apart, actually, some people end up just in this position of notoriety through no fault of their own. And, um, and from what I know, Brian May is a fantastically down-to-earth um, young man. Um, but um, I'd love to hear the story because I, I, I know a little bit about it. But I know you did. You did you sing for Queen on, to on something when you were younger, and then that's the connection. And but I'd love to know that story if you wouldn't mind sharing it with us. <laughs> so 
so yeah, uh, um, that's a good yeah, that's a good example of me. I mean, I've I've had friends for years and years and years, and I've never, I'd never ever talk about this. I've never had, but um, yes. So when I was thirteen, I sung on a record for Queen that they made for charity. Um, it was a very amazing experience. I'm yeah. I mean, it, it it was one of those things where you make a record with Queen. So suddenly <laughs> driving around in limousines, and I mean, we we were doing press tours of the country, like where we were traveling by helicopter and stuff. It was all incredible, very crazy. And everywhere you go, there's all these famous people. That was thirteen. I didn't know most of them were, but um, but it was also uh, pretty awful and. It was a really, really strange mix of being yeah. amazing because the things that completely new, you never thought you'd do. Um, being in top studio, recording in um, Abbey Road, and being on TV and radio, and but at the same time, even at thirteen, I was really like, "Wow, I wouldn't want yeah. to do that." This is not something I would want to do. I'm and sure. Then, oh, sorry. Carry on. And then, you know, Brian was very, very lovely to me. And I think he sensed that I was having a very, very hard time at home. And I think he knew that. And he really took me under his wing and stayed in very constant contact. Well, we have done for 30, 32 years now. But um, watching him... And knowing him as well has been a real way of warding me off uh, fame. And he's been very lovely, very supportive and offered me many things and offered me jobs and yeah. <laughs> um, said no to. And I think then when I was gigging and started to get record deal offers and um, yeah, I just knew that wasn't something I was... I would make me happy. It wouldn't make me happier. Yeah. The thing that made me happy was singing and playing music, and that actually yeah. I don't have the personality to cross over. And those people who don't have the personality to cross over bolster their lives with things that eventually kill them as a way of getting through mm. it. Yeah. And, but they have this justification of, yeah, but I'm famous and I'll be yeah. remembered. And actually, I don't know why, but from a very young age, I knew it was better to be happy, to be remembered. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm a very different person now. Having suffered a, a serious mental illness, obviously, had a huge effect on those feelings and decisions. And mm. as I've got older and my illness has improved, may, maybe I'd have done things differently. I still don't think it's worth it, but... Mm. You know, well, may, I, think, may... I think you you did what you you felt was the right thing to do. I think it's amazing, actually, that at the age of thirteen you can have that sort of clarity. Actually, of of I mean, it's maybe it's quite indicative, maybe, of you as a person, you as a, as a soul, is that you just you you saw that world and you weren't attracted by the glitz, the, the kind of glitter of it, as it were, the baubles. It's all surface shiny, mm. you know. But then you sit down and you talk to these people. I remember hanging out at the studio with these two guys. I didn't know who they were at the time. It turns out they were Robert Plant and Jimmy Page. But anyway, yeah. having <laughs> like tea stories. I remember this man was so lovely and he was letting me stroke his hair and he was had these lovely scarves on. But just seeing this absolute tired, exhausted look of and the way those people would speak to Brian if that, you know, mm. I don't know, I just, I didn't get happiness. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. I think it's, you can be swept into that world and it's very hard to, very hard to back out of it. I think that's, that's certainly one thing. And so like you said, I think it's very lucid, lucidly put that you say that people then use substances and they use vice as a crutch for coping with the fact that they perhaps didn't make the best choice 
in going into that sort of world. So I, it is, it's an amazing, it's an amazing story. And it's, uh, it's, um, yeah, I think it's, it's a real example. I think I, I, I really applaud you for the decisions you made. And I'd, I'd like to also touch a little bit about, um, you mentioned that um, mental health has always been a, a part of your journey. And I, I think for me as well, I, I was interested when you said earlier that, you know, having a mental breakdown at 17 was the impulse you needed to, or, or gave you that feeling of wanting to, I don't know, create and leave something of yourself um, out well, you've there got for to, people to see. And, you're suddenly aware like, that you've got, to, you've got to get it out somehow. Yeah. Or you're completely mad and you're not going to survive. Yeah. If, if, in there still whereas actually you know vomiting it into a song or on a canvas or the painting or mm. you know playing a game of football or whatever it is how you like to create um just sort of lets the steam out it makes yeah. life far more bearable yeah well i it's I've never, I've never heard anyone talk about it like that but i not the reason but certainly one of the reasons why i'm i'm ended up doing this now full time is that I used to work, I did the whole kind of generic school, good university, good job, moved abroad, um, worked internationally, basically in a sort of corporate field. I was I was working in, in science, but in a corporate way. And wow. in my late 20s, I had a really bad year. And effectively, it was a breakdown. I've never really, like, talked about it from that perspective. But I, you know, I was just super depressed for a year and um something had to give and that set me down this path of of being a musician and um i'm quite happy dealing with all the difficulties of being a breadline musician compared to being a successful depressed person mm-hmm. and uh, i just i just find it re- i really connect with what you said about it was that process of hitting that that low that made you want to create i think it's very much the same for me yeah, yeah. It's really interesting, actually. When I got to, because as you probably know, I've had quite a long break from music. Um, I didn't play for about six years till two years ago. But the reason that break happened was because I suddenly got all this help from the NHS and I, I had the most amazing sort of three, four years of therapy. Mm. I had this cognitive analytical therapy that literally just takes your brain out and puts everything in back in the right place <laughs> and they say like the yeah they say to the beginning look you there's a high chance you're going to feel really ill after this because it's going to break and it did i didn't know who the hell i was i had no idea i didn't know how i was going to react to anything and i just stopped writing music because i felt good and i never felt good before and i didn't have anything to write about so i've got nothing to write about yeah um, and it took me six years to realise that actually you can just write a song about how nice the sky is today or yeah. <laughs> yeah. it might be a bit cheesy and a bit shit, but you're still going to really enjoy singing it. Um, yeah. You can write about how in love you are with the people around you. Or, yeah. But it took me a long time to realise that that was a viable option as well. I didn't, a lot of my songs from before were like, I want to kill myself. How do I feel? <laughs> <laughs> Again, I mean, it's interesting. I, I, I have a very, very similar path to you, I think, because I started out using music to unjumble my rather melancholic thoughts and try, try to figure out what was going on. And so my first few albums were very kind of, you know, when you look at them as individual tracks and in individual pieces of work, they are very melancholic and, and downbeat and sort of slightly depressive. And I've heard that as feedback for many years and um it took me a while to separate that away and say okay maybe i i can i can go into doing something else with music and creating from a different perspective but i my my sort of modus operandi for many years was using music to um sort of figure out the the dark parts of my brain and i think a lot of a lot of singer songwriters start out that way and i think if you can push beyond that and it's great to hear that you've you've made this leap and actually the last song you played the song you played for us tonight um felt very liberated and positive powerful empowered yeah Yeah. absolutely (laughs) and it's great to get to that space where you can 
you can just talk about the good stuff as well and not mm -hmm. it not be just total rubbish <laughs> I suppose. very very hard to write a good happy song i think it's yeah pretty, you know we can all have a go at writing about how depressed we are and yeah easier actually than writing about oh, that's a really nice day today how do you sure, make that yeah. <laughs> yeah maybe that's because we have more practice at it you know did you say that the people with a slightly wider polarization of personality end up being more creative um anyway i would i would love it i don't know if you have another song potentially that you have i've got a lot of songs jeremy <laughs> okay. i've got quite a few <laughs> well, i'd love i'd love you to play another song if, if you wouldn't mind and um uh, feel free to play another one about sex if you like or whatever you know <laughs> that's quite <laughs> you're like this one's <laughs> this one's also about sex <laughs> so all you're writing about these days yeah nice <laughs> um, i wrote oh it's my thingy you know what i mean when i say Capo. Can you? yes see <sighs> musicians there you go. one. Um, one day i'll be able to pass you a capo through the screen that's where technology is going to be i'll be like here you go that really scares me <laughs> Don't like myself. Mm. Um, yeah, I, th I thought, uh... <laughs> I don't know where to start. Um, this one's about love. I've done sex, now I'm doing love. Very, anyone who knows me knows I wrote a song many years ago called I Don't Sing Love Songs because I get, used to get really annoyed with people. So why don't you just write a nice song? Why don't you write a nice song about love? Or, you know, because my song So I, in response, wrote this song called I Don't Sing Love Songs, like piss mm -hmm. off stuff. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, you know, and then meeting my husband and thinking, actually, yeah, that's because I didn't really fully love anyone before, like with mm -hmm. your whole being. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought, right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna write a love song to prove myself wrong. So amazing, I did, amazing. and it's called Love. Oh, mm -hmm. love, because I'm not reinventing. Keep it simple. <laughs> hmm.
comment section there including my mother thank you. oh thanks Jeremy <laughs> what a fantastic song that's so lovely thank you for playing that I love that song because it makes me so happy well I could see when you were when you were playing I always one thing I've I've enjoyed about this process of doing these podcasts in this manner is that I love watching musicians when they when they kind of like you were smiling a few times during the song and it's it's kind of a nice thing to sort of to see that to see you in your own space you know having this little trigger of happiness because of a lyric or there's something really nice about that there's something very heartwarming about that sort of as, a, as an observer yeah transports you to that moment that feeling and yeah it's great it's, it's good to sing it every day <laughs> <laughs> and is, is that an old older song or, or how is that a newer one or i don't play any old songs so what i consider old is sort of before i had the break when i got rewired um so anything in the sort of last two years where i've been playing again is new to me <laughs> right <laughs> uh, old old songs yeah i i don't play anymore i don't I can't get into that world where it was, where it was. Yeah. Interesting. Maybe one day you'll you'll re-examine the catalogue, mm -hmm. the pre-break catalogue. You'll be like, I've, oh. taken, I've taken a few that I really, really like, and thought I, I can't, I can't let it go. So I've written a new song, but it to me it's the same thing, and it means the same thing. Mm. Yeah. Song. yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I think it's. I find that process very interesting in songwriting where you, you write a song and it represents, you know, some of my songs that I've written now represent me and how I was feeling 10 years ago. And mm. it's a very different Jeremy. And I find it interesting because occasionally you start to talk to people about these songs, particularly people who really connect with your music. And the simple answer is that it was a different person writing that song. Yeah. we all grow and we all evolve especially i think especially creative people because there's there's an element of introspection which allows you to grow emotionally um mm -hmm. but it's yeah i find it very interesting um answering questions about songs which are sort of like they're, they're snapshots of a different person than i am now and yeah. um it's slightly easier to connect and, and sort of rationalize songs that are a bit more recent because they are representative of who you are but you know I might have said a, a lyric in a song 10 years ago which I'm like really doesn't represent how I feel now but it's, it's, kind of it's like you don't agree with yourself anymore so yeah it's quite hard to still get up and yeah. you know push those words out there I mean, don't, yeah. don't agree with this don't agree with what I'm saying but yeah it's <laughs> it's kind of fascinating in a way you've got to have almost Almost as if you if you could line yourself up in different decades and then have a conversation and see where your commonalities and differences lie, with you know, twenty five year old Jeremy and fifteen year old Jeremy, and <laughs> that's quite an interesting concept. Um, before we go, that's pretty much an hour, and it absolutely flies every every time we do this. But we've been chatting an hour already. Yeah, I know, right? Um, but I'd love to talk to you about um, just a little bit about Suffolk because you're a you're based in Suffolk at the moment. I are you Suffolk born and bred? No, I think that's why I'm so passionately in love with it because okay. <laughs> I, I, you know I've grown up around people who are born and bred here who mm. I don't know maybe we're hanging out with the wrong people. We like to have a good old moan about Suffolk, and I you know I can see some of their points. There are no real big cities, and they feel a bit shut off. They feel perhaps mm. you know. <laughs> 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 oh, 
minds aren't as open around here sometimes as they <laughs> that's like some pagan ghost some like uh, saxon ghost has come in and knocked your phone off gonna what are you saying about suffolk bosh no, there's that black dog that roams around Suffolk, isn't there? <laughs> um, no, but I, I grew up in Hertfordshire in the right. middle of nowhere. I mean, we lived in a tiny village and we were surrounded by fields and we had the most amazing time chasing sheep and walking the woods. Mm. And I, I remember so clearly we didn't come here until uh, my mum and my stepdad moved us here. I was about seven. And I remember driving into Felixstowe, I remember it so clearly, because there was the sea. Yeah. That was completely incredible. But also this concept that you're driving this road and this is where it ends. Yeah. You like, you drive the whole A14 to here and there isn't anything yeah. else. Yeah. Um, the world has ended. It's um, an end node. Like yeah. you can, you can just about go up into Norfolk, but you're not getting much further. <laughs> I mean, it's like yeah. it's the end oh, node. That's it. And but and we grew, we moved, we moved into a house on the beach, and I lived there for five years. And we, I was never in the house, and I, I just thought it was the most incredible place ever. Mm. Mm. I just mm. think it's so beautiful. And I love traveling, and I you know I love going around the country and we've briefly lived in other places but I did this and I love I just love painting it I mean it's mm. it's, it's quite unique yeah I, I there's something about Suffolk and I I look back on it with great fondness of the time I spent there I didn't spend a lot of time there and I sort of in a way kind of wish I'd been forced into spending a bit more time in Suffolk because there is something about Suffolk which which gives you time and space and I think in music and one of the you know for, the, for those of you guys who are watching who don't know actually well Susie will know because Susie's um, used to run the open mic uh, at the Blacksall ship but the BBC first started recording mm -hmm. music um, uh, well folk music in the Blacksall ship in Suffolk so Suffolk has this rich um, history and association with folk and melancholic guitar music and sing-songwriters and there must be something about that county which just inspires people and um, I, I'm also in love with the southwest I, for me the southwest is the most astonishing part of the UK and I yeah oh. and I, I get a similar feeling similar in feeling in the southwest all I can think about is, is going to Cornwall I just want to be yeah so different it's well in some ways it's incredibly similar but the geography and the landscapes are so different it's wonderful to make that journey just as it is when you travel to scotland um yeah and i think a lot of people see the flat of suffolk as a real negative but actually it's really freeing because you're not hemmed in in any way at all yeah it just goes on and on and you can see that does, does does Suffolk is Suffolk having an impact on your songwriting these days? Would you say? Yes, definitely. Uh, in the last couple of years, it's become more and more about nature, a basic human emotion, and I don't know if that's getting older, which just suddenly everything else just seems so unimportant. Um, <laughs> that is that just... is a process, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah really getting into like running and walking as a, a medicine for mental health you, there's just nothing else like running across fields running across mm. that field. you feel yeah. complete free it's yeah. incredible and um, to do that and then come back and write a song and put that in a song yeah. um yeah i love it yeah i i i walking in particular for me i mean i've never been my, my my family a great a great walking family i grew up doing it but i never really found my own passion for it but that's one thing that i thank covid for is that it's really mm -hmm. given me the time and the space to go for walks and it really like it's it's maybe it's because there's no other stimulus in the day but i love my walks now you know I, i'm like when am i going for my next walk i need to go for one big long walk a week you know and mm -hmm. um yeah, there's something about that, and and then doing that in nature and doing that in in a place which inspires you creatively is is even yeah. more special. I think. 
lockdown's been brilliant for that, taking people back to actually this is all I need. I need to eat and drink and sleep. I need to go outside. I think a lot of people forget that. I have to go outside. I have to exercise. And I have to touch people and speak with them and be close to them. But that's it. Yeah. Have all of those things. I'd actually be really, really happy. You know. I think hopefully once this pandemic sort of flushes away slightly, maybe we'll be better people for it. At least for a Mm -hmm. while. (laughs) For for a couple of weeks. Yeah. No, I'm trying to have faith. I'm trying to have faith. I, I, I feel like we're, I don't want to speak too soon, but I feel like we might be able to hump. Uh, yes, I agree. <laughs> that other variant doesn't come up and help us out, we'll be fine. Fingers crossed. Belinda, gonna, I think we're going to have to uh, leave it there, but thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a fantastic conversation, and I didn't realise how in tune we are soul brother and sister in the musical world so it's been fab to talk to you about all these things and the way i like to finish these off is um uh here just a little bit about um what your plans are musically moving forward um, and also for those the guys who are listening right now and listening in the future on the podcast what's the best way they can connect with you how can they hear your music what spaces have you got out there to for people to okay. visit it might be hard to find out Uh, on the internet but it's pretty easy to find my music by just going on spotify or itunes backwater records website is a really good place to go wonderful steve mann who runs a really wonderful independent local record label where he finds music he loves and lets you do whatever you want uh he's amazing so his website is really worth uh, uh, looking at um I just want to play plans. I want to play in front of people and see them. <laughs> have them there, and then. Uh, but I, I want more gigs in Suffolk. I, I think you know. I'd really like to get the courage up to start putting together mm. events. Mm. Um, like I say, rather than feeling like I have to go out into the world, I love where I am and I love where I live, and just adding more art. So that as much as I possibly can. I'm writing songs, I'm playing songs I love, and yeah, playing with other people. Hopefully. I, amen to that. Hopefully, hopefully, I'm fingers crossed for a good summer. That's all I'm, all I'm aiming at at the moment, sort of gig wise. But... Rained all summer now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the sun will shine, the people will come and flock around your guitar. Um, thank you, thank you so much, Blinda. I just have to say thank you to the people watching, to Matt Reaction, Susie Webb, Susie Hammond, my mum Diana, um, Jim, Daddy, Hitomi, um, all you guys, Nick uh, Brick, Maverick Fox, and <laughs> all you guys who commented. I hope I haven't missed anyone out. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, this will come out as a podcast in about four or five weeks. So watch out for that. And uh, in the meantime, I hope to keep in touch with you, Belinda, and maybe we'll do this again one day. That'd be great. That'd be great. Maybe we'll play an actual gig together again. That would be amazing. I, I still, I still theoretically have a gig planned in May in the Smokehouse, and I would love to um, drop in and maybe, maybe we can do something um, in person as well. But. Um, who knows whether May is going to be okay, but I'll let you know when I'm when I'm in town. Yeah. It'll be great. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Belinda. Have a lovely, um, lovely rest of the week, and I'll speak to you soon. Thanks very much for tuning into this episode of Jazzology. If you liked what you heard, please share, like, and subscribe on all your preferred social media channels and podcast platforms. If you'd like to know more about my guest, Belinda Gillett, you can find her at her label's website, backwaterrecords.com. You can also find her on Instagram. If you'd like to know more about me, you can head to jeremyjohnson.co.uk. Thanks again, and see you on the next podcast. Sail away. I gave my love.